All right, folks, welcome back to the Roswell UFO Symposium. I am your host, Mike, joined by co-host Shane and co-host Toby. We have a phenomenal guest tonight, uh, the filmmaker James Fox. You might have seen his documentaries, uh, The Phenomenon, which is my favorite UFO documentary and probably the best one ever made. Uh, and more recently, he has a new one called The Moment of Contact. I have the link down below. You can check it out. I highly recommend it. And uh, yeah, before we get started, if you want to hit the like button, the subscribe button, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, we do our show live on YouTube. Please check out our audio platform stuff too. We have video podcasts on Spotify, and we are also on Apple and all other audio platforms. And yeah, just click the link tree link down below. Uh, like I said, all of our links are down below. You can support Shane, Toby, Wounded Warrior. Um, everything's on there. So just go check out all those links. Uh, but without further ado, welcome on the show, James. How are you? Thanks for having me on, guys. Of course. Hey, thanks for coming, James. Of course. This is so a... Are we gonna are we gonna talk UFOs or what? <laughs> Heck yeah! Uh, is it UFO or is it UAP? That's a I know. Question. Well, yeah. I'm still kind of connected to the old, but yeah. <laughs> I I'll say this: I like UAP because um, it doesn't it, have the baggage. Well, it doesn't have the baggage of a material thing, right? Like the phenomena could just be anything. It could be dimensional. It could be metaphysical. It could be anything. But with an object, well, you're now you're talking about material realm stuff, right? So, I remember Dr. Hynek talking about you know the nuts and bolts aspect of the phenomenon, but also the psychic uh, aspect of the phenomenon. So it's a bit of both. So we could say UFO slash UAP. Absolutely, love it. Um, so your, your newest documentary moment of contact, what was, what was your inspiration? Like what got you, obviously it's an interesting case. A lot of people have heard about it, but what was the catalyst for you to be like, all right, I'm going all in on this thing. I never really meant to go all in on this thing and and actually, I think the fact that it took roughly 12 years on and off uh, to make probably at the end of the day was was a bit of a boon for us because I quite honestly don't even know if the public was ready for it today. And they certainly weren't ready for it uh, 12 years ago. Um, there's a lot more talk uh, within the mainstream behind closed doors about about this alleged crashed UFO and live aliens than there is publicly. I think it's a bit of a slippery slope. I myself didn't believe it when I heard about it uh, back in the late 90s. I just thought it was impossible for such an event to have taken place and the whole world not know about it. It just seemed so implausible that I didn't want to waste any time on it. But uh, I reluctantly started to look into it after a trip to Brazil in 2011. Um, bless his heart, the AJ Javard, the late AJ, uh, invited me to Brazil in, it was 2011, and um, at a place called Peruibi, which is about four hours south of Sao Paulo. And uh, right before I went on the trip, I got a phone call from a buddy of mine, this guy Jeff Sagansky, 
And uh, he's like, oh, you're going down to Brazil. You got to look into that Virginia incident. And I was thinking to myself, I heard about that in the late 90s. The one where a UFO allegedly crashed and the aliens survived and they were walking through town. And I said, yeah, sure, Jeff, I'll look into it for you. Click. Yeah, no intention of doing that. I'm not <laughs> going to waste my time. And uh, But while I was in Peruibi, I had a conference talking about um, a film I did called I Know What I Saw and my general research on, on the phenomenon. Um, I met some witnesses and some researchers and that kind of, I guess, piqued my interest. And uh, one of the things I've learned over the years is, uh, you know, don't let that knee-jerk reaction of there's no way this happened because it's so implausible, you know, get in the way, try to suspend judgment and at least listen to some of the, uh, you know, eyewitness testimony before you're, you know, you're going to draw any conclusions. So, yeah. And I, I think I met some, some people, uh, it, it piqued my interest and I went back subsequently four times, uh, for about roughly a month each time. Uh, and I also had some counter parts uh, on boots on the ground. And it was an ongoing sort of 12 year thing, tracking down witnesses, tracking down the crash witness, Carlos de Souza, um, other people that were involved. And uh, we tried to squeeze this case into the phenomenon. In fact, I spent quite a bit of time editing, a, I think it like a 12 or 15 minute segment. And, and, and ultimately I deleted that whole scene and, 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 um, felt that uh, it, it warranted an entire documentary on just that case. And so when I finished the phenomenon, I had sort of unfinished business and that was Virginia. So I decided to go back one more time, see what witnesses we could dig up and, and produce an entire documentary on just that case. And, and that's what we did. Yeah, the most compelling uh, part of the documentary to me, and not to ruin anything, but... Uh, was the guy that you took back to like the farm where the craft crashed and he's like a key a key and he's like slapping the ground and he's crying and um, it was just a very visceral uh, emotional response to obviously what was a, like a paradigm shifting event for this man so I, I felt like that was the point of the documentary to me that was like the most compelling a lot of people felt that you know funny enough for me that was a very very compelling segment. And, and when we were out at the crash site with, with Carlos de Souza, the ultralight pilot and, and uh, history professor, geography professor, um, he wasn't, he couldn't find the spot. And, you know, even though that's an edited down sequence in the film, uh, we were out there for a couple of hours and I, I kept thinking like, how does this guy you know, 26 years ago, have this incredible encounter with a, allegedly a crashed UFO, not know where it happened. And I was incredibly discouraged the first couple of hours. And I thought we're early in production. Uh, this guy can't even find the crash site did, you know, and, and then, uh, and then uh, he kept saying there was a white house, but he, but he, I said, how certain were you that you could see this white house at the you know, the debris field, and he was like a, a, a thousand percent. I could see the small white house. And so I took my drone and I, you know, it was 26 years and trees had grown and, and I flew my drone over the area one final time and found this little white house. 
that was now 26 years later blocked by a series of trees and we we ran down to that 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 area and uh that's when carlos um uh, that's when Carlos realized that 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 was the site, and that was quite a, quite an emotional uh, moment of the film. Did you, uh, James? Did you run in, into a, I guess, much or a lot of pushback by local authorities? And then did you run into any by the United States authorities for trying to do what you do, and especially this documentary? Um, so on the U.S. side, it's been complete silence, and I've been putting some feelers out there recently, trying to, as I know they're. In fact, I didn't realize this for about a decade. Sorry, I keep trying to keep that light behind me blocked so I don't have to. Which which way is it here? There there we go. So you, I can crop. Just keep talking. No, I'm trying. I, I okay. It's slightly disruptive to the visual. Okay. Um, I didn't realize the Americans' involvement with the case until the last trip, and every military guy that I spoke to was like, yeah, the Americans came in and, and took the bodies and probably took the debris from the, from the crashed object. And, um, and while we were in Brazil, the last trip, I think it was 2021, the end of 2021, um, one of the uh, control uh, flight officers, somebody who monitors all the airspace in a particular area of, of Brazil, came forward for the first time and uh, described this, he kept saying USAF, United States Air Force, plane that flew in unauthorized from the Brazilian government and landed in Campinas. And we had just gotten firsthand eyewitness testimony from a military officer who worked at as a military base who drove the creature to Campinas. So we were pretty confident that that's where the creature ended up. And then we have right at the same time, uh, confirmation from one of the radar control officers that uh, a United States airplane flew in unauthorized from the U.S. from the Brazilian authorities that landed in Campinas and helicopters came out and they went to Virginia and all this stuff. So it was it was pretty compelling testimony um, that the U.S. were involved, but we haven't as of yet. And you know, this is an ongoing investigation. Had any American authorities come forward and uh, confirm? their operations there. Yeah, no, uh, it's very interesting. Um, two things that I found like a <clears throat> part of your filmmaking that I felt was like kind of similar to uh, the phenomenon was the part where you're showing all the Brazilian um, sightings and like important cases. That kind of reminded yeah. me of when you were doing the thing in the phenomenon with the nuclear uh, testing and weapons, like you just show the visual. And I thought like both of those were very compelling in the same way, if that makes sense. That was kind of an afterthought because we were in the edit room. Um, you know, I'd always, I guess I kind of knew there was some sort of connection with, uh, with nu UFOs and nukes, but we were in the edit room and my partner, this guy Lance Mungia at the time, was like, hey, we were going through these archive uh, testimonials, newspaper clippings, radio interviews from like the 50s and 60s. And he was like, um, hey, let's get a map and let's put pins in the map of these other sightings and, and kind of get a visual on it. And, and we did. And we suddenly came to the realization that the proximity to Trinity site, which is the first detonation of an atomic bomb back in 1945, 
was remarkable. It was like even Socorro, New Mexico in 1964 and White Sands, you know, testing range and, and Holloman Air Force Base was all around. And so the, the seed was planted. And then when I met with former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid regarding ATIP, I asked him sort of, uh, it, was a, it was kind of a side note, while we were doing a quick B-roll shot of walk and talk for an establishing shot, I figured I might as well take advantage of this moment I have with, with the Senator. Uh, you know, what was one of the more astonishing aspects of the phenomenon that you uncovered during ATIP? And to my astonishment, he immediately, without hesitation, said the connection between UFOs and nukes and the interest that they have in our nuclear capabilities and, and these uh, uh, military installations. So we That's went back true. to the yeah, we, we went back to the drawing board. We contacted uh, Robert Hastings, and um, and we spent probably the better part of a year uh, doing that segment of the film. Yeah, I've been taking a dive through the Roswell Daily Record archives, and starting in the 40s, you know, up to the 50s and 60s, where the nuclear testing was going on, um, the, the sightings line up exactly like you're saying. Anywhere there was nuclear testing, activity or research there were people seeing these discs as they called them back then so yeah, it was pretty I guess remarkable. More, yeah they called I mean, it the summer of saucers in 47. yeah it was it was it was it was almost i mean it was undeniable it was like there had to be a connection it couldn't be a coincidence you know and uh so obviously robert hastings has done you know exhaustive research on this and there were a lot of other cases that we were unable uh, to cover. One of them was Minot. I think they call it Minot Air Force Base. I think it was 66, but don't quote me on that. Uh, that was a, that was a really extraordinary encounter of the landing while there were guys working on a, a remote, um, uh, I guess it would have been a, a, a nuclear tipped missile during the peak of the cold war. Um, and, and that, that, that story in particular didn't make it in the film that, that one, but there were a lot of, of very compelling firsthand eyewitness testimony about um, uh, some of our more uh, guarded military installations housing nuclear weapons that had these encounters. Did you um, feel the need to do something maybe a little bit more, like take a little bit more of a chance? Because like, the phenomenon, like I said, is my favorite UFO documentary. It's a very like epistemological approach to um, what we know. Like you're taking a look at like what's all the evidence. This is what we actually know, and just lay it out there. Almost, and you do it almost in like a chronological um, order, right? I mean, obviously you mix in different things, but yeah, you kind of go from like the oldest sightings and cases and start working your way up. Uh, this new one, obviously, as you mentioned, there's a lot of evidence for these things, these beans and the crash and everything like that. But it's not as, I would say, steeped in American, um, the American zeitgeist, if you will, meaning that not many people have probably heard about this case that are into UFOs. You know, I knew that it was it was a little bit of a risk in terms of 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 my reputation i with the phenomenon i developed a fairly mainstream reputation i had the endorsements of former cia people former senate majority leader harry reed i was getting all these um uh quotes 
uh, in support of, of, of the film. And, and quite honestly, I, I felt like I was pushing the envelope a little bit there because, you know, we dealt with alleged landing cases and close encounters of the third kind and in Africa. And, and, uh, so I pushed it a little bit there, but I felt that I couldn't dismiss the firsthand eyewitness testimony of a foreign case. And, and it also demonstrates the global nature of the phenomenon. And uh, so I took a bit of a gamble making a moment of contact. And I thought maybe my reputation would get tarnished a little bit uh, in, the, in the short term. But I think that there'd be enough additional testimony that we'd stir up the hornet's nest uh, that, would, that would come forward and, and, and eventually give more credence to this case. So I, I, I went all in on it. Hey, real quick, James, while you were there, did anyone talk about, I'm going to butcher the name, right? It's a Ubatuba Beach, Brazil incident in Brazil yeah. where there, I guess, apparently there was a, another body or crash that fell into the sea. Yeah, it was just a, it was just a, a debris from an alleged UFO thing. Um, I actually touched on it really discreetly in the phenomenon when I was in the lab with Gary Nolan and Jacques Vallée because Jacques had pieces of that debris that were being analyzed from, from Gary Nolan. Um, and I mention it in moment of contact a little bit. We talk about that case and the analysis work that was done. Cause I think that was 1957 Ubatuba. Um, yeah, we touched on it, you know, and I touched on a number of very compelling cases that took place in, in Brazil, Brazil's, you know, got some of the best cases. Honestly, I think the Virginia case, if true, is the best case in the history of the phenomenon, certainly in modern history. Well, what do you think? What? Um, sorry, Toby. What do you think as far as like crashes and retrievals? Do you think it's a common occurrence? And it's a, I mean, as far as retrievals, we have them there somewhere. You know, I am not a specialist on crash retrievals. This is kind of new territory for me. Um, I find it, I hate to use the, 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 uh, quote from Carl Sagan, where he says, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Um, but it's, it is kind of true, particularly in mainstream. If you're going to, you know, make the claim that a UFO crashed and live aliens, you know, wandered through a town and were witnessed and, and captured and ultimately sent back to the U S that's a pretty big claim. Uh, can I prove it? No, I can't prove it. Can I make a very compelling case in a court of law and perhaps sway a jury? I think so. I think so. And ultimately my objective and our objective, the co-producers on the project was to uh, shine a light on this case with the idea that there would be additional firsthand eyewitness eyewitnesses coming forward, both Brazil and, and, and us. And we have efforts right now in Brazil to get, uh, this film into the hands or into the households of, 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 of just, you know, as, as many people as we can, and it's an ongoing effort and we're, we're getting some traction on that. And so I'm very, very, uh, enthusiastic and, and encouraged that there will be, uh, more witnesses coming forward. In fact, there already have been some witnesses coming forward, doctors that were involved in the case and, and, uh, that we're following up on. So it's, it's an ongoing investigation. I guess that begs the question. Then, um, a bunch of people asked about, you say there's, there's footage of the creature, correct? 
No question. Okay. No question. Uh, how is the effort to get that released publicly going? So I, I got to be cautious on, on what I say because I don't want to jeopardize our, our efforts right now. But let's just let's, let's just say this. Uh, we have definitively, definitively located two incredibly uh, uh, reliable sources. They did not come to us. We tracked them down. Uh, we got confirmation uh, and we made a very generous uh, reward on the table. And uh, one of them is thinking about it. The other one asked for us to disappear for six months, which we did. There was a lot of heat coming on us when, particularly after the Eric Lopes incident, which was the alleged second driver during that capture, um, the military base was making calls to either people that we had just met with or that we were about to meet with. So we had to kind of let the dust settle and let the whole thing cool off. But uh, it's an ongoing effort. And um, one of the people that we reached out to said they didn't need the money. And my immediate response was, well, I'm sure the children of Virginia could use that money for education, medical, housing, food. And that sort of got this person to, to rethink, uh, you know, whether or not they were willing to, 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 to part with it. But everyone's terrified. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Do you think there's more to uncover in this case? Oh, no, no question. No, no question. No question. I'm convinced there, there's pieces of, of the craft still in the hands of people in the town. No, no question. Is there a part of the case or your documentary that people should particularly pay attention to? Because you think, as far as your opinion, is super important as far as the phenomenon goes? I think... Uh, for me, Military X towards the end. Have, have you guys all seen it? Yeah. The gentleman with the camo hat on at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So pay attention to what he says. Um, there's more to that happening. He, he's very well connected. He was involved with the transportation of one of the creatures, maybe two of them, but at least one of them. Um, and, uh, and, and there was a screening uh, at the... 27th anniversary just uh recently in the town of virginia and i had some of my uh fellow brazilian ufo researchers present i wasn't unfortunately able to be there and uh there were there were new um uh there were new um uh connections made at that at that screening that we're following up on has anybody ever approached you from any of the alphabet agencies or the government based on your skills of making these films and said, why don't you add this or can you leave this out or do this? Has there ever been any interactions that made you feel like, you know, there's some sort of, you know, narrative, not control, but just um, trying to get certain things out there or keep things from being out there, something like that? I got a letter. I got, I, I get, so I get contacted quite often uh, by people that claim to be in the military, claim to be in the know. And uh, uh, recently I got contacted by someone and they wanted to send me a personal letter because they were too fearful of, of transmitting any kind of information uh, over the internet or email or even encrypted or even on signal. And so there are people that are sending me letters, um, you know, telling me where to follow up on with flight logs and how, 
So I'm getting constant information. I'm sure that some of it's bogus and uh, some of it might turn out to be quite helpful. So that's, that's ongoing. It's pretty much, I would say weekly, uh, if not almost daily. Yeah. I was just curious because we know of in the past, obviously people that are skillful in the media have been, you know, approached by different people to do or not do certain things. Um, yeah. I give out my email sometimes. I yeah. don't do it often, but I do sometimes. And, uh, yeah, you, you never, you know, most of what you get is, but sometimes you get a little golden nugget. I got to just get question. the Illuminati emailing me. Illuminati six <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> so, Hey James. So yes. as far as, um, I guess you would say researchers, budding filmmakers, people who are, you know, why do you think it's important for them to take this subject seriously and get more people involved in making documentaries about the cases and all this? Because like I said, Phenomena, I, I don't think I told you this. Phenomena was the very first documentary I saw about the subject. Amazing. So oh. I'm curious. And that, actually, that's one of the reasons I kind of got into this whole filmmaking thing. Well, I, I have to respond to that question with a question, and that is, uh, you know, I ask your audience to suspend judgment as I've often told myself to do and imagine for a moment if there was tangible evidence to suggest that we're not alone in the universe and that that evidence was being withheld from the general public, me, you, your audience, everybody else, uh, you know, how significant of a story would you give that? And uh, again, I asked him just I'm not saying it's true or it's not true, but if it were, uh, how significant would it be? And I think that the, the vast majority of people would respond by saying it'd be the biggest story of, of modern history. And obviously I'm convinced that it's happening. And so it's a very difficult story to walk away from. You know, people say like, why do I do what I do? I do what I do because I don't want to sit there screaming from the hilltops, ET has landed, but, uh, I think there's something very significant happening and that there, those uh, in, in, in the know are, uh, are keeping us out of the loop for whatever reason. You just made a comment um, hard to walk away from. Do you consider it almost I've, – I've seen something, so I consider myself obsessed almost to the point. Do you consider yourself just you want to get the message out there in the way that it convinces the right people? I uh... – I don't see how I could walk away from this at this point. <laughs> I think I'm, you know, I tried to walk away for decades and I kept getting drawn back in and, and now I am coming to the realization that, uh, that this is kind of my journey, uh, while I'm, while I'm here for this short period of time on this little blue planet <laughs> hurling in the vacuum of dark space, you know, I, I think it, uh, ultimately could lead to uh you know a revelation of of us as a species of the much larger picture of of who we are and where we come from and and how we fit in in the, in the larger picture so uh, i think it's a very very compelling story i think it's probably the most compelling i think it's probably one of the most significant stories of our time and it's coming out they can't put the genie back in the bottle man this stuff's coming out yeah, I mean, uh, to Shane's point, I think you're the documentarian on the subject that people look to because, I mean, let's face it, some of the other stuff's either maybe a little too woo, a little too out there, or the production's not great, or whatever the case may be. 
Uh, I definitely, I mentioned to you off air, we have our first documentary coming out in March at the Roswell UFO uh, Expo, as within, so without, from UFOs to DMT. Um, I looked at what you were doing. I'm like, okay, well, we can't do anything military related because the phenomenon's out there. And that's just basically the seminal work of the U.S. timeline of how these things go down. But looking at what you've done, I realized, okay, well, there's other things, other stories that haven't been told, like experiencers, um, like altered states of consciousness in relation to these things and things like that. So you definitely were an inspiration uh, when I was thinking about doing what I was doing because uh, I think you hit the nail on the head with the phenomena. I don't know if anybody will be able to do what you did with that in the way that you did that. Um, do you have any plans to kind of um, – now continue with the UFO topic specifically, or are you going so in a different direction or maybe an offshoot or like, what's your plans going forward? Well, so this is a personal journey for me. And I just happen to share my personal journey with the general public, with my docs, my documentaries. And I have been incredibly frustrated with learning uh, from all these military contacts, in some case civilians, but mostly military, about the definitive piece of evidence, you know, dating even back to Roswell, um, in the hands of some unknown government agency or subcontractor, who knows? Uh, and I am incredibly frustrated, and I want to know where it is and who has the authority to release it. And so I'm launching a new project. Uh, in fact, I'll be filming in DC for a full month, starting on February 15th. And um, I want to ask questions, uh, people that are investigating the, the, the new task force. Um, I want to find out where this, you know, obviously bring our audience up to speed and what's happened in the last five, six years, because a lot's happened. And uh, where this the rumblings of all this uh, definitive evidence is bodies, debris, whatever, uh, and who has the authority to release it. And that's going to be kind of my, my objective. And it's not just uh, a film idea. It's, it's, it's some, it's a natural progression of, of, of my research. So, um, that's and, what I'll be focusing I th on. I think that's what comes through though, too, uh, is like you're, you're just genuine and you can see the integrity in what you're doing. And it's not like, Oh, I'm just making a film or, Oh, I'm just trying to make money off this topic or whatever. Like I think people can feel that you actually like care. And I think that that's what, what's important when you're making a documentary is that you care about what you're talking about or you're passionate about what you're talking about. So it comes through the film, you know? So thank you. You know, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I really, uh, I, I really do give a shit if excuse my, my, my language, but, it matters to me. And, and I remember thinking, this is such an incredible story. This is so, excuse the pun, uh, otherworldly, uh, um, that if you have to rely on, on, on a little bells and whistles and, and, and uh, freakish green smoke and uh, creepy sounds, uh, then you, you know, you're not treating the topic with the level of seriousness it deserves. And if, if, if the storyline and the eyewitness testimony can't can't hold the audience and you have to rely on this other stuff, then as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, you're, you're not, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to judge anybody else, but that's some, something that I think that 
that should be avoided and, and kind of needs to be avoided. Oh, I'll judge um, them. Don't worry about that, James. We'll judge them. <laughs> it's such an do extraordinary it. story. You know, it doesn't, it shouldn't, it shouldn't need all those bells and whistles to, to hold the attention of the audience. Credibility, so bottom line, credibility. I'm a member of this uh, org, UAP Med, and it's uh, with Ted Rowe, uh, Deb, a couple of people were, it's talking about uh, anomalous injuries, right? You were there firsthand and you saw some of the after effects mentally. And what do you think about that? And don't you think that that's another reason our government should be taking this seriously? You know, I remember talking, in fact, I'll, I'll say who it was, but I remember talking with Jacques Vallée, who's the intellectual heavyweight, probably in the scientific community on this topic, uh, uh, on the planet, one of them, that's for sure. And, uh, I, I was always so curious as to why any one would want to cover up what could be the biggest discovery of our time something that every man woman and child is entitled to know something that is you know part of this bigger picture of 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 who we are and how we fit and uh why would they cover that up i just i just couldn't kind of you know come to terms with that and he said to me very nonchalant he looked at me and he said james he said, think of it this way. The cover-up isn't necessarily a question of what they know. It's more of a question of what they don't know. So let's just say that uh, those in the know, uh, they know that these things are real. They know that they're under intelligent control. They know that they're penetrating some of our most secret military installations flipping and on and off our, our nuclear weapons, flying around with impunity in our airspace, flying rings around our fastest jets. Uh, we've recovered some uh, from alleged crash sites. Uh, we don't know who they are, where they come from, or what they want. And no governing body is going to want to relinquish that kind of information for fear of, of a potential panic or a world of worlds or whatever. And that kind of makes sense. If you think about, you know, their responsibility, their task with protecting the citizens, what we pay them to do, and for them to come forward and say, you know, look, shall they turn to be hostile? And we're not saying they are, but if they were, we have no visible means of defense against them. We don't know who they are or where they come from, what their agenda is. Uh, it could be a little scary. And I just don't see what's in it for them to, to, to do that. I mean, when Senator Harry Reid told me he launched ATIP. I don't know what it was initially called. Mm -hmm. He said that the level of resistance he got from the intelligence communities was, was, was significant. I mean, some people were on the, on the verge of losing their positions. I mean, they were coming down hard. They were digging their heels in and just really, you know, and he pushed and he got it through. Why? Why, why would that be? Why would you not want you know, another investigation. And honestly, I don't even know if ATIP was ever intended to be made public. I don't know if Senator Harry Reid, you know, who spearheaded that, ever intended for that program to be, become public because it went through the tail end of the Bush administration. 
all the way through the Obama administration and the first year of the Trump administration before a couple of guys decided to find a loophole and walk those tapes out of the Pentagon and on, onto the front page of the New York Times. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Real quick, let me do a follow-on to that. So since you were there on the ground, boots on the ground, years later, you saw the after effects, right? Mentally, the changes. I mean, the way people reacted, just trying to relive this, like PTSD, correct? And just these people, these witnesses. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Civilian and military, yeah. All right. Yeah. Why, why do you think it seems like the sightings and cases in Brazil have a more, I want to say like violent angle to them than they are in some other parts of the world? Do you think there's any reason in that region they seem to be affecting people, you know, whether it's injuries or anything like that? It just seems like those encounters are more uh, intense. Well, you know, the only really weird case that I haven't looked into that extensively is Colaris back in 1970s, 77. I think it went on for a year or two. And there were allegedly reports, credible ones, might I add, it's been written up by Jacques Vallée and a number of others of objects hitting laser, uh, humans being hit by laser beams, some of which survived. I think there were a couple that apparently didn't. Um, that's the only case that I'm aware of where hostility, usually it's us shooting at them. The girls that came within eight to 10 feet of this creature, allegedly in, in, in uh, Virginia, Brazil in 1996, January 20th, they said that these feet, this creature was, was feeble and weak and, uh, and, and wanting help. It was a non-threatening um, uh, and, and, uh, and scared and cowering, cowering and, and um, uh, they didn't feel threatened at all. Um, you know, UFOs over Brazil, 1986, when they scrambled all the military jets, none of those jets were shot at or, uh, or damaged or threatened in any way. Uh, they did a display in the sky to sort of exhibit their dominance, uh, just like they've done on many other occasions around the world. But in terms of being hostile, I think, look, the level of technology displayed by the phenomenon is light years advanced from anything we have. And so if they wanted to destroy us, I mean, every witness I've talked to, particularly the military ones said, if this thing wanted to destroy me, it would have been like, you know, uh, that, that hard and that quick. So, uh, that doesn't seem to be their intention. Also, another thing that's rather interesting, if, if you think about it, you know, you don't just look at what the, the, the UFO phenomenon or the, the, uh, UAP phenomenon, Look at what they what they do as opposed to what they don't do. I mean, if they wanted to uh, expose their presence uh, overtly, and they've done some pretty uh, compelling things, uh, particularly back in 1997, March 13th over Arizona, the the the, the Phoenix Lights, uh, they've done some pretty um, uh, you know um, overt exposure events, but for the most part. All they'd have to do is hover over Macy's Day Parade in broad daylight and it would be game over, but they don't do that. So that's, you know, you look at what they do and you look at what they don't do. Uh, and that's quite telling. Yeah, they could either be in some sort of position of evolved control or they could be in a position where maybe they're from somewhere, you know, we have earth bias or we anthropomorphize everything. 
could be a scenario where they don't even have, um, you know, the survival instincts that we do to have to like worry about our surroundings. Maybe they came from somewhere where there's nothing trying to kill them constantly or something like that. So they don't know about that. That could be a possibility too. Um, but, uh, somebody has a question from our chat, godly moose or godly moose, excuse me, asks, um, he hasn't, or they haven't seen the movie yet, but they wanted to know, has anybody, uh, in the documentary that, uh, was part of that, you know, incident, have they had any further sightings, poltergeist activity, premonitions, or any sort of other, um, kind of a thing like that? I've, I, I've heard of a few dreams, but I have not heard of anything further than that. Now, with the 1994 Rua Zimbabwe case, the landing in, in Rua Zimbabwe at Aerial School, I think some of the witnesses uh, have had subsequent experiences, but I can't uh, specify exactly who, but I definitely heard that. But in, in, in the Virginia case, as far as I know, no. It's a very different case, too. I mean, the creatures were not in control. They were cowering. They were afraid. They were weak. They were suffering. Um, you know, and they looked a little different, too. They looked like they, a chupacabra or whatever a chupacabra is. Do you think it was they, being searched for? Oh, no question. No, no question. In fact, we realized that uh, we interviewed a family in the, in the film and, and actually some people in the town of Virginia that we went down to the, to, to the town square because, you know, my whole uh, idea was, hey, if this if this happened, go downtown to the town square and start talking to random, you know, citizens and find out what, you know, and, and to my, well, I, I kind of figured that was going to be the case, but there were a number of, I mean, a lot of people, I don't say 30% of the people we asked that had a piece of the puzzle. And there were people that had described late into the night uh in during that period uh disc-shaped craft that were quote looking for something and i kept saying well what do you mean they're looking for something they said they were doing like a low flying very low very slow and doing a grid search and i had an entire family talk about it uh you know and uh i said well you know look what, how do you know they're looking for something they said it was we watched it for 20 minutes it was flying over the area. And then we realized the area was where the capture allegedly took place. The encounter with the three girls, Katya, Valkyria, Liliani, that came within eight to 10 feet in broad daylight, three o'clock in the afternoon, eight to 10 feet in broad daylight of a creature that made direct eye contact with them. Think about that for a minute. And there was some, some telepathic communication. That's incredible. Like I just watched E.T. with my son, who's eight. And I thought to myself, you know, one of the one of the girls froze in her tracks, Katya, she was 21 years old. The two other girls grabbed each other by the hand and, and, and shot out of there. And she was frozen, locked eyes on this thing for an extended moment. That's where the title of the film came from, Moment of Contact, because I asked her, during that moment, that moment of contact, when you locked eyes with this creature, did you feel any communication? And that's when she said, help me, I'm scared, I'm, suck I'm weak, I'm suffering, I need help. And I thought, imagine if it played out slightly differently. Maybe if the girls lured the creature into a safe haven 
who knows? There were apparently, according to witnesses, craft later that night flying over the region, it would, which can't, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many others, it couldn't have been anything else other than a rescue effort. What do you make of the smell they said the creatures had? Was It, it was like ammonia and sulfur, right? Yeah. They you said it was that so was... strong. I remember asking people, everybody, the doctor, everybody, you know, even when the creature would be at a certain spot and leave, it would be days People in, in their sinuses. They said, it, you know, if you've ever had uh, within a certain proximity contact with a skunk, they said a skunk was, you know, this was like a hundred times stronger, a thousand times stronger, paralyzingly strong. And it would get into your nasal cavities. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I actually got contacted by a um a chemist scientist and he had a whole breakdown which i forwarded to some some journalists that are actually doing some follow-up research on the virginia incident because look if if virginia happened the way that all the witnesses are claiming it, it have happened we're dealing with a modern day roswell and the advantage that we have now is that the vast majority of first-hand eyewitness testimony these people are still alive so this is the this is the case that's like this this could be the case that finally proves once and for all that that we're not alone um it sounds like uh you know a, a stretch what, what i'm saying but just imagine if it really did happen of course i wouldn't have spent 12 years on it if i felt it didn't but if it did happen then there's proof and people are still alive and the evidence is out there you know, they didn't destroy those bodies. They're probably in a lab somewhere in the United States, you know? So there are people working behind the scenes on this. I can trust me when I tell you this. There are people working behind the scenes. There was a lot more coming out on this case. I have no doubt in the next few years, there'll be more coming out on this case. Mark, you, Mark, I know Mark, you, you said an hour, so I want to ask you, can you talk about your yeah. next project? You want to let people know, or are you able to? Sure. I, I, I don't think I've made this announcement anywhere else but uh and, and and a huge you know incentive for me on this next project uh, i felt compelled at the end of uh making the phenomenon when senator harry reed said that what's been released to the general public and it was on the front page of the new york times and all the tic tac videos and the go fast he said it's the tip of the iceberg on what's the evidence is sitting somewhere. And then when I went to Virginia to, to button up that film project, uh, learning that by every military person I spoke with, and then the radar control officer who saw the flight guy, who saw the United States Air Force plane come in and land in Campinas without authorization from the Brazilian government, you know, okay, I feel very strongly that there was US involvement and that they took the bodies and flew them back. Can I prove it? No, I can't. But they flew the bodies back to the United States. And so I want to go uh, walk the halls of Congress. I want to talk to those uh, people that are investigating the phenomenon. Uh, there's new legislation that, uh, that uh, through a process, allows people with to, to violate their security oath without fear of prosecution or jail. Um, this is all just happening recently. Uh, and, and uh, you know, find out where this evidence allegedly is and, and who can release it. And that's, that's basically what my next objective is.
real quick, James, too. The reason I brought, I actually asked a question earlier about how, how much this phenomenon goes around, goes around is I stumbled on a paper that you should probably check out by uh, Leroy P, P Research. And if a quarter of the crash retrievals and bodies that we supposedly, that have happened in these locations, like Aztec repeatedly, New Mexico, uh, you may want to have a look at it and just, you know, do what you want. But I stumbled on it and I was just like, what is this? And I couldn't believe it because I, I heard about uh, from Moment of Contact and then Roswell, a couple other, but the amount of crash and supposed bodies that have been retrieved is insane. It talks about William Cooper being a part of, I mean, you may want to check it out. So if you want, I can send you a, the link to the thing. That, that'd be great. You know, um, when I was, when I was making out of the blue, uh, back in the nineties, late nineties, I, uh, the, the, the guy that I was working with, um, the building that, that we were editing the film in the woman who owned the building, uh, found out that we were making a UFO film. Again, this is in the late nineties. This was out of the blue. And, uh, and, and my, my, my partner, this guy, Boris Zuboff, he goes, uh, yeah, what's her name? Willie wants to talk with you. Uh, who owns this building? Said, really? She's like in her late eighties or early nineties. And, uh, and I said, what, what, you know, she wants to have tea. I said, well, what she want? I don't know. He goes, she she's adamant wants to talk with you. So I, uh, I had tea with her and she said, look, you know, I'm not interested in going on camera. I'm not interested in, 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 in selling my story. I just want you to know that my husband told me in the fifties that a UFO crashed in the desert of, of New Mexico and that there were bodies recovered. And she said, if that's what he said, you could take that to the bank. My husband was not, you know, she's like, I've known about this since the early fifties. Then when I was investigating Socorro, New Mexico, the 1964 UFO landing with the officer Lonnie Zamora, April 24th, 1964, I came across and he'll remain nameless in that region. Uh, a gentleman that I absolutely believed he's not going on the record. He's not selling the story that he knew some of the ranchers that were still out there from Roswell, that the generational ranchers that, that had a piece of the debris and they showed it, he held it in his hands and described it to me. And, uh, so I know there's there, I, I feel extremely confident that there's, there's still evidence in the hands of the civilians and that their crash retrievals have in fact taken place as outlandish and crazy as it sounds, very compelling eyewitness testimony, testimony that would, that would sway a jury in any court case beyond a shadow of doubt. And I feel the same with, with Virginia and the fact that I know quite well about a couple of cases, why not more? Who knows? Who knows? Do you I ever just go- sent you that link, by the way, on Twitter. It's I interesting. You, by the way. Working at the Roswell Daily Record, I still get calls of people that claim they were either around back then when that happened. I've gotten emails of people claiming they have pictures of the bodies and they have actual debris they're going to send to me. So uh, sometime I'd like to just sit you down and just show you the kind of claims that have been made. I know people that claim they know the doctors that performed the autopsies on the aliens. It's a uh, working at the me, newspaper that did the reports pretty wild. You guys, let me tell you something really funny. I was at the 50th anniversary of Roswell. Okay, 1997, and I was in my 20s, and um, I picked up a hitchhiker 
And, uh, and this kid was really quiet in the car. He was probably 20, 22. I was like 28 or something. I don't know. Something like that. And, uh, we had a, I drove him to wherever he was going. And, uh, he was like, yeah, I, I was born and raised here and know all the ranchers, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, cool. He's like, what are you doing here? And I told him, he's like, oh, cool. You know, he's kind of quiet. And then I dropped him off and he got out of the car and he opened the door, got out of the car, kept the door open, looked at me and he goes, you know, there's still pieces of the debris of that thing still in this town. And I looked at him and he's like, and he closed the door and he left. So you know that those ranchers kept some of that debris. No question. <laughs> you know, and I heard, uh, I think it was Stanton Friedman that said that Mac Brazel's son was, was boasting in a bar one night about it and that they, uh, some men in suits showed up the next day and, and, and took whatever he had, you know, but I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's a kind of a slam dunk case, you know, and even though it's super old from 47, it's still totally relevant, you know? It do is, you ever, I, uh, do you ever go back and forth, uh, on this? Like, I mean, for me, I take a more philosophical approach to the whole thing, but I torment myself all the time. And, um, I try and tamper or dampen down my excitement with things just to try and get at the truth. You know, like it's easy to like think or believe this kind of stuff, but like, obviously you're doing a lot of research. Do you have your days where you're like, eh, maybe this person's full of shit or maybe, you know, I don't think this or don't think that or something along those lines. I like yeah, to look at that about you. <laughs> I don't yeah. exist. I like to look people in the eye for sure. And, um, I go after the witnesses. They very seldomly, uh, you know, I, I pick specific cases that I'll go after. Uh, and I'm usually me and a crew are tracking people down and, and I, I look them in the eye. I, I honestly, I could only think of a handful of cases in my, you know, three decade career where, uh, people have reached out to me. And I could tell pretty quickly if they're full of doggy doo-doo or not. Um, I use my kind of, you know, bullshit sensor. Uh, you remote uh, view their mind and. Yeah. You know, you can just kind of tell. And particularly if it's a known case anyway, but you know, uh, yeah, you know, you'll just be nice and just don't include that person in the story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just curious. I think we're all aware of that there's obviously real stuff at play, but then there's stuff that muddies the waters that's not needed that. I think that's intentional. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's intentional. You said you wanted to keep it to an hour. We're just under an hour here. Is there anything, Shane, Toby, do you have any other questions here before we start to wrap it up? I've got a question yeah. from the chat, actually. Uh, they want your thoughts on what the beings in the craft were doing. Were they being transported or do you think they were driving it? Was it shot down in your opinion? If so, yeah, you so shot it down. Good, good question. Good question. Um, you know, we, uh, uh, all the eyewitness testimony that we were able to track down and there were others that we'd seen on camera that were taken in 1996 that we saw their testimony on camera, but we're unable to, to track those particular witnesses down. But the ones that we did track down all said that just like instantly, there was a huge gash in the side of this cylindrical shaped uh, unidentified object. And that it had this white vapor, not like smoke from a fire. So it was a white vapor coming out the back of it. So clearly it was damaged. Somehow it was damaged. I mean, 
what are the odds of it being struck by a meteorite? I think it's far more likely that it was shot at. Personally, can I prove that? Absolutely not. But that's my feeling on it, is that somebody shot at it, and it might have been the United States. But I, but I, look, I'm not saying that's what happened because I don't know, and I can't prove that. But I can tell you that every uh, witness that saw this thing in trouble uh, said that it had a gash in the side of it. I have a question myself. The Chuck Clark footage, are we ever going to see it? Uh, there's, there's ongoing efforts for that, too. I, I could go into, I mean, that's a long story. Ah, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, ha- I hate to bring it up, but since I first heard you. No, know, it frustrates the hell out of me because I saw it. You know? Were those screenshots that were posted on Twitter, they made like a GIF out of it? Were those actually from the video? Um, so there are a couple of legitimate screenshots floating around from one of the people who went out and saw the footage. I won't say who that person was, but he was given screenshots. And all I can say is that the Carlos Diaz of that light object is very similar to what I saw. It looked like the skin of this thing was alive, like it was like phosphorus or something. I remember when I saw it, I realized some of the witnesses that I'd met over the years, while they were why they were at a lack of trying to find a word in the English language to describe. It's so foreign. It's so alien, excuse the pun, from anything that you've seen that you just go, okay, now I see what they were talking about. It's like the, it's like the, the craft was alive and glowing. Every molecule of it was glowing. And the way it hovered was almost like, like a, like a ship on, on the ocean in not really rough waters, but kind of like this, not stable. Do you know what I mean? Kind of doing this. And, and I was feeling the exact same thing as the cameraman was thinking was, oh my God, like, oh my God. And that's what he said. Oh my God. Just like that. The camera shut off, but that's what I was thinking. Honestly, I think that if I was the cameraman, I think he could have hit it with a rock pretty easily. It was, that's how close it was. You know, it was, it was the most phenomenal footage I've ever seen in my life. And uh, Chuck still has it. That's a fact. I have people that saw it last year. Um, it's degraded because it was VHS tape. The guy who, sh- uh, sorry, I don't think he shot it. But the guy who had it, who had, a, I think it was a Beta SP master who made a VHS copy for Chuck Clark. We got his name and we went after him and he had just died. And he worked at a production facility in Los Angeles. It was like... We missed him by a couple of months. It was so so depressing, and um, and I and I and I felt this overwhelming sense of urgency when we got back in touch. Not me because Chuck won't talk to me, but the people that I put out to get in touch with him, <laughs> I felt a sense of urgency and I actually put George Knapp on the case. And George Knapp was like really busy, and I kept pushing him and pushing him. And George and George is like, I know him. I did a story on him in the nineties. His place got raided by the feds. I know this guy. And I said, George, I said, you got to get out there, man. I've seen this footage. It's phenomenal. It's the best footage in the history of the ever. It's the, it's the, it's the holy grail of footage. You know, obviously the tape's been degraded in VHS and, 
you know what VHS does after 25 years. But the guy that had it on a master on Beta SP, he's dead. We contacted his son. He didn't get back to us. We contacted the production place where he worked. You know, they didn't they didn't know anything. And it was just like, you know. So yeah, but 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 Chuck still has that tape. That's right, I said it. <laughs> Chuck still has that tape. <laughs> I know last year. So he's still not talking to you because you kept pushing him. He, and he even said to the people that went to his house, yeah, James Fox. I told James, if he asked me again, I wouldn't talk to him. And, and, and I haven't talked. To him. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man, that's, I mean, to be able to see that. That sounds amazing. It was amazing. I, you know, I saw it in the nineties, you know, and I, honestly, I thought it was going to come out. I never thought that it would, it would never be really, what, what, you know? Oh, like, somebody's got it. You, selfish, you know, it. how selfish, how selfish it was of Chuck Clark. It's in how that Indiana selfish. Jones warehouse at the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost. The rumor, the rumor keeps <laughs> me up. I'm talking about it. I didn't care anymore. I was like, you know what? Sorry, Chuck, but you're selfish. And it's one thing. It's like, look, I said to him at the time, I was like, look, I get it. You can't give the tape to me. You made a promise to them. That's fair enough. Put me in touch with the guys that shot it and let me at least talk to them. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. <clears throat> so frustrating. Anyway, that's Thank another topic. Well, yeah, I mean, this is awesome. Obviously, we would love to have you back on again in the future. And again, you're also welcome on the other podcast, Mind Escape. And yeah, just huge fan of your work. I think you're a very good filmmaker. And, uh, it's definitely inspiring and um yeah let's get more filmmakers doing stuff on this topic um so and everybody and that I, doesn't have tickets yet uso <laughs> expo you can come hang out with james in person oh that's yep. right be there too roswell ufo expo UFO march 10th through 12th yep Ro march 10th through 12th and tickets are available uh shane also has something he wants to add here before we wrap it up I'll just first say thanks for coming. And I remember when I met you, I was sitting down having coffee with uh, Chrissy Newton, Micah Hanks, and you came and told us about the other stuff that you couldn't about the the video, right? And I was just like, oh, this is pretty freaking awesome, right? So thank you again. But I just wanted to say, guys, if if you've had an experience, if you're struggling, check out the opusnetwork.org. They have uh, uh, mental health professionals that don't they do take this subject seriously as well as check out uap medical coalition that's what i'm a part of we're trying to reach out to doctors and mental health professionals to let them know this subject happens it's it really you need to take it seriously because not everybody needs medication and wounded warrior they saved my life so donate check them out guys thank you and thank you james thank you gentlemen i appreciate you guys having me on absolutely we have the links all for that stuff down below um if you want to support the roswell ufo symposium we have the link tree link down below uh you can follow us on all the social media apps especially twitter which we are very very active on um and yeah if you want to support mind escape my other podcast i do shane's a producer there and toby's a regular guest uh check out mind escape you know it's a philosoph it's a philosoph philosophy podcast that's dedicated to exploring the mysteries of life um, we are also going to be premiering our first documentary, As Within, So Without, at the Roswell UFO uh, Expo 
March 10 through 12th. And uh, I am going to play the trailer as we get out of here. Uh, but again, thank you so much to James Fox. Please check out Moment of Contact. I have the link down below. Please check out The Phenomenon if you have not already. Best documentary, hands down, in my opinion. And I'm very, very critical of this kind of stuff. If anybody Thank you, family, so. for showing up and watching and chatting with us. Thank you, everybody. Real, real, yeah. real quick, one-second message. Dev says she's been bugging James about the autopsy, and that's all I have to say. <laughs> all right. Well, we love everybody. Stay safe out there. And I'm going to play the trailer as we get out of here. And thank you so much again. Peace and love. Bye. Is it real or is it not? That's what you're asking me. I still, to this day, can't find any rational explanation for what I saw. Extremely intelligent, apparently highly advanced, hyper-technological being. I think that we just don't look at the perception of reality in the right way yet. It got very close to the point that I could see just one big light and then it stopped and then it shot up in the sky. You know, you know you're not dreaming, but you wonder how real any of it really is. It dawned on me, it, it was real, this, this took place, but then I still didn't do anything with it, never said anything to anybody. There is some mind altering aspect to these UFO encounters. Uh, a lot of people get a sense of missing time I noticed that these three stars were kind of in a formation. It was a triangular formation. Condensed into entities or beings that uh, you interact with who are sentient. The chemicals which are going into our brain are making the unconscious archetypes come alive. How things evolve from pure energy to matter definitely was kind of a paradigm shifting moment. And as we continue to evolve in our own consciousness, we will perceive of new modes of interpretation, but that may be dependent upon how this supposed phenomenon reveals itself to us. Uh, I'm not sure why we discredit the human experience when it's not in alignment with our current belief system. It's important to consider that, one, we don't really understand what our minds do under the influence of psychedelics. Uh, they all attest to the reality of some other realm. You call it the paranormal, doesn't matter what you call it, spiritual realm, supernatural, metaphysical, doesn't matter. The fact that we're essentially vibrating energy in a sense, and that when this experience is over, that that particular energy transforms and doesn't die because it can't die, it fills me with a lot of comfort that there is something else after this so-called here and now. They show you how much of your reality is subjective and fragile and capable of being influenced by a psychedelic drug. Coming from a scientific background, you come up with explanations that range from geomagnetic to atmosphere to something that's physical in nature. There's a lot more out there that we don't know than we do know. So the entire system, the human body, is effectively a stimulation response machine. 
think something's here. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it's from. It could be extraterrestrials. Until it made a full rotation and then it just hit an insane speed and just shot up straight into the atmosphere. I think that there's compelling evidence that psychedelics have played a significant role in human evolution over a long period of time. The our view of reality, the reality that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis, seems to be this very, very thin slice of something far larger and far more As within, so without. From UFOs to DMT.